Akshay, did you always knew what you wanted to do when you passed out from MBA? I was all over the place. Uh, Saurabh, what about you? Yeah, I didn't have any idea. I didn't have any idea. Confused about your career choices? Wondering what steps to take next? In this podcast called Beyond Campus, Saurabh Garg, founder of C4E, and Akshay Dutt, founder of Unnati, are on a mission to crack open the career success code for the youth. So, let's turn the dream into reality. I'm Satsumik, the CEO at Unacoin. And Unacoin is a trading platform and exchange for Bitcoin and many other cryptocurrencies in India. We have all heard about the entrepreneur who, while trying to solve a personal problem he was facing, ends up founding a startup that solves that problem for the world. Something similar happened with Satvik Vishwanath, the founder of one of India's oldest Bitcoin exchanges, Unocoin. In his search for a cheaper way to get money from his international clients, Satvik ended up pioneering Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in India. In this very lucid conversation with Akshay Dutt, he demystifies his cryptocurrencies and shows us how powerful and transformative is the technology behind it all, the blockchain. Listen to this masterclass on entrepreneurship and blockchain. I kind of had made up my mind to do something else than just a, just a family business because I have a younger brother who wanted to take that up at one point of time and he took the the, the commerce side of subjects uh, which could help him do the business and such. And the other side, I was on the computer side, the electronic side. Uh, so that made me more look at a technology aspect of um, any business and trying to figure out a business opportunity uh, wherever it exists. So that's how the, the way I grew up was quite different than how my brother did uh, grow up. Um, so, but but at the end of the day, we, we both do business, uh, but in just like different different business. Yeah. But it, like you were clear that uh, it's not a job that you are studying for, but you will do a business only. It it was not like completely clear uh, as in uh, till at least uh, my engineering days. Uh, so, so I kind of decided that I want to do electronics and communications based engineering when I was in class four. So class four. How how how, how did you have enough sense at class four to because <laughs> because uh, my my mother have a brother who is my mama right so uh, he's an electronic electronics engineer and people have always looked up uh, about him always like uh, very as a successful uh, person. So it kind of started thinking that I should I should do something like that um, as well. And on the other side, my interest in computer science was so strong that I could kind of learn it myself. I didn't really need a formal degree for it. So that made me think that maybe I should be more looking at the hardware set of things as a um, like electronics engineering. You you had a computer at home and like you used to tinker on that. Yeah, I had to literally struggle in my first year of engineering to get my first computer. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been asking like how much money it costs, uh, etc. How much money I had, how much money I had to take it from my uh, from my father and such uh, to, to 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 just the you know get the first computer. That was in my first year of engineering in the year two thousand, right? So uh, till then I used to go to a computer cafe, like internet cafe. Uh, that, that was run by one of my uh, first cousins. So uh, after being with the computers for maybe already like 10 years till then. So I started 
I mean, I joined the computer course uh, in my school from from my fourth stand onwards. So when I was eleven, right? So yeah. Uh, so but initially it was about DOS, I mean DOS, and uh, then some games and uh, something like WordStar uh, for for entering the text and such things. And I think by class sixth or seventh, I started programming in C. Wow. Like you, you taught yourself to program in C by that age, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would. Uh, I mean, I, I generally am good at logic, right? So how something should happen from zero to wherever it should be. So it was not super tough, and and the teacher there uh, had been quite helpful uh, to me to actually make it work. So yeah. So you used to make games, or like you know, I imagine as a kid, the biggest thrill would be to make a game only, you know. Yeah, I have done games. I mean, very simple games, and then I had done like Joker, uh, which will draw using the graphics.h file, like how the Joker would look like using a program. Um, and uh, then I had done something like a WordPad, right? So where you could open an application, then uh, open files in it, save files in it, be able to edit, and with menus and everything, completely written in C and C++. So. Yeah, I mean that that kind of very well gave me the hold of uh, hold of various aspects that I was learning till then um, about the programming languages. So it it was a kind of first few projects which where I was able to implement from zero to till till the end. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So college was largely academic focus for you. So 2005, you passed out. So then what? Did you get a job on campus or like you know what did you decide to do next? Yeah, I I got selected for Cognizant Technology Solutions, right? So and and before I completed my engineering, I was I was doing some few of my small small businesses. So one was to you know ship the mobile phones from uh, Bangalore. I mean, whenever my friends or other class people wanted it, because I had one of the friends who were traveling between Bangalore and Tumkur uh, every day for his job. So uh, we used to we used to charge a small premium of two hundred rupees. Uh, whenever you know, students there in SIT wanted to buy um, a mobile phone, and we were getting it um, that the very very next day. So at that time, this you know the the eBay or Amazon, I mean obviously nothing was really popular, uh, and pretty much the internet was not the internet was not something accessible to everyone yet, um, and it was most of the times just feature phones. People didn't really have smartphones yet, right? So yeah, that, that was a mode of uh, Transport that we used was to just have my friend, whoever is coming back from Bangalore to Tumkur, and uh, I just used to tell him what to bring, and used to bring it, and we used to charge a premium of two hundred rupees to sell them. And then, but why were you doing this? Was it to make money? Yeah, two two hundred rupees is a good amount of money. We used to share that. <laughs> so I used to bring the orders, and he used to bring the items. <laughs> so yeah, and and then. uh because i was going to that internet cafe um and then i learned about how to create domain names how to create websites how to create email id of the same domain name etc and i was helping some of the call centers at that time to get their website set up i used to sell the web space as well uh, where it's like 50 mb is 1500 rupees per year something like that so where people used to host the images and web pages for their business Hmm. Yeah. So you must have been a reseller. Like you must have bought it from a server and. Yeah. 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 That's right. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. 
Okay. So, uh, what was the experience of uh, working in corporate world? Like, you got a job at Cognizant. Uh, so, you, you know, did you enjoy that experience of corporate world, or like, was it a frustrating experience? Uh, I think I learned a lot, like how the corporate culture literally works, and uh, I, I, I still uh, implement a lot of whatever I learned even today in my company. Right. So. Uh, so, for example, how to take uh, from the whenever a pressure joins, how to mold them to be like a normal uh, employee at a corporate level, right? So, uh, there used to be a program called Campus to Corporate, and I still follow the notes from that, whatever I learned in that class, and I still take up a lot of exercises that was taught to me. It, it was like a book was given to me, and and still I implement. Uh, some of them like how to what could be email etiquettes it could be you know telephone etiquettes um, so there the, 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 the were a lot of things that you know the the college won't teach uh, for an employee it will only have to be learned at uh, or in the corporate world so that has helped me to uh, go from zero to some place where you know from there i could take on um, as the entrepreneur of the company itself so yeah, it, 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 that way it was. Uh, it, it, it was you know definitely helpful uh, to to get started. And then when it comes to the normal working experience, I was a programmer there for uh, for about say eighteen months or something like that, I guess. So and then I was also a part of quality assurance team. Uh, then I had to. Uh, I mean, then I decided I should go for higher education, and that made me move to Melbourne. Uh, in 2008 to do my MBA in uh, Melbourne Business School. How did you fund it? Because, I mean, you know, you to buy your first computer was something which you had to, like, really plan out. How did you fund a foreign education? Yeah, I mean, Bob, but initially for the first, uh, first piece that I will have to pay, uh, I mean, I because I had worked for, uh, I mean, in the company for about two years so far, um, then I had, yeah, I had some, and then uh, I still used to run the the websites and and emails, I mean, email domain names and such things. So that had that had given me some money as well, right? So using that, I could uh, somehow fund my first semester. But just after going there, I continued doing the same work, um, and I and I was kind of very able, very much able to earn uh, the money that I will have to utilize for my. Uh, my uh, tuition fees and also uh, for uh, the rent and whatever things. Yeah. Part-time jobs and stuff like that. Uh, I didn't do the job itself, but I was more or less a freelancer uh, for various things in uh, um, in technology. So, uh, yeah, uh, that pretty much was able to fund me. So I, will, I always used to find out uh, a niche where some people need some help. And uh, usually the word of mouth was good, where it could quite very well uh, uh, spread around that Satvi can help with XYZ things. And that was just used to walk up to me. So that was very easier. Mm, okay. Okay. So in a way like that, uh, Dhanda was in your blood. Yeah. See, I, I come from a Vaishya's background. So, uh, I mean, that's what we do. It could be my uh, great-grandfather to great-grandfather to be father or me so we kind of look at things as uh, i mean in the in in, in the view of uh, entrepreneurship only 
to figure out like in in what way you can use something to make a business opportunity out of it uh, then bring up a employees and try to make it bigger uh, and make it work so that's how i see it so it <laughs> it was just there yeah okay so uh, after that uh, mba from melbourne then uh, like uh, what next uh, did you try to work there or you came back to india so the idea was to actually come back to india uh, just after a year and a half of education there uh, i mean I, it, it was it was supposed to be a two year course uh, but however because uh, i had work experience i was able to get uh, the credits I mean, free credits which is worth the six months of, of training there so i could complete it with uh, within one and a half uh, year so there another thing i started doing was uh, was to uh, first do the custom scripting services in a virtual world called second life right so i just got to know about uh, this this entire new 3d virtual world when i was in australia and started exploring it right so then uh, see it, it's like a game uh, as soon as i first unlocked in they will see themselves as an avatar and they can just move around like a game and every person they are meeting on the ground there is a real person behind it playing that avatar and you can chat with them talk to them etc and people could build lot of things like uh, homes or casinos or games um, and let's say if someone is building a home i used to script the automation steps for them someone is building a game i used to make the game work so these things to to make Uh, even the virtual objects to react to something could be touch of the mouse or uh, someone coming closer to it. Um, uh, so for for those things, the script should be written. And I used to have some employees with me who was helping me write those kinds of uh, scripts. Uh, and uh, I mean, when I was in Australia, I didn't have employees. I was just writing it myself. But after coming to India, oh, I realized that it was kind of precision and. Uh, that made me continue whatever i was already doing in second life which had been successful so i had to just hire a bunch of employees as soon as i come to india to continue that work um, so and, and the way we earn money in second life is through a closed loop currency called linden dollar it's about 200 dollar is one one american dollar and i had to get that money using paypal um, as the mode of mode of transfer paying about 4% as transaction fees and another 3% as the conversion fees So yeah, I kind of have lost money for for four, three to four years every month up to seven percent, and uh, that is what made me look at alternatives and uh, alternatives to do this kind of transfer, and that made me stumble upon Bitcoin. Okay, so before we come to how you stumbled upon Bitcoin, like uh, how uh, how much money were you making in this, like you know, in providing services to Second Life users? Uh, it it was definitely good amount of money. So our company used to make. Uh, somewhere around uh, 10 to 15 lakhs every month easily, and then there was some expenses because of employees and such things. So, but uh, you were comfortably something. saving a couple of lakhs each month. Yeah, yeah, surely, yes. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay, and uh, in the meantime, like, did you get married, settle down, and all of that happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, so I got married in 2010. So it was an arranged marriage. So. Uh, just after i started the company uh, after coming back to india i happened to get married and then i continued building the business of uh, providing custom scripting services in second life 
Okay. And uh, this was in your hometown only, or did you move yeah. to Bangalore? No, not yet. Not yet. This, this was just my hometown. I mean, my hometown actually have a lot of engineering colleges, uh, but there are not really many software companies, and uh, there are a lot of parents of some of the girls like who do the engineering there, who are afraid to send the the daughters to Bangalore, so where they kind of have to live on their own and figure out things. So they were very happy to send uh, send them to a company located in Tumkur itself, and. From what I remember at that time, mine was the only company which was hiring the engineers to do any kind of work uh, uh, in some core. So that made me to get uh, a bunch of really good employees uh, so, so who, who, who could work uh, for the company. And, and it was also a very uh, say interesting job. It's, it's like you write the scripts and you, see, and you would start seeing things coming to life. Right? So... Uh, wait, a lot of times it's just about okay, you create a web page and then you click a button, something happens. But this more exciting environment. Uh, it, it, it's it's kind of playing God uh, to 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 make things work. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, your experience of cognizant of onboarding freshers would have helped you to build a team here. Surely, surely, yeah. So I, then I learned how to do the interview to an employee as well there. So because I I happen to go through the interview process. When they were selecting from uh, Wind Park for, for uh, the campus interview, it definitely have helped me in 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 many many ways. Yeah. Okay. So that seven percent which you were paying for getting money into your account was like a thorn in your side. So you know, uh, how did that lead to a new business getting started? Yeah. After losing seven percent of the money month on month, uh, I happened to look for alternatives uh, how to do the transfer of money without losing so much of money right? so that made me stumble upon bitcoin and uh, then i took a little bit of time to study because i'm a techie by myself i wanted to understand how something is working without someone in between and still the transactions get through from anywhere to anywhere without any kind of hustle so which year was this then when you were studying bitcoin so later part of 2000, uh, maybe mid mid part of 2012 and earlier part of 2013, I guess. This would have been when Bitcoin was probably worth like a couple of dollars types, like like yeah, very very early days. Right? 10, 15, 20 dollars. Yeah. Huh, yeah. Huh, huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, like uh, if you can just like explain in simple language, how does Bitcoin work? It's it's essentially how you know. Uh, for 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 emails, uh, I mean we have a bit for post office we have email, right? So uh, at the end of the day, internet is about transfer of information uh, from one place to one place, uh, usually instantly, and uh, there is almost no money for doing that kind of transfer, right? So whenever things happen in physical world, it is slow because uh, there is a distance constraints and there is cost constraints, but when things actually become virtual uh, by getting on the internet itself uh, it, it's kind of it will go from anywhere to anywhere without uh, the, the, the cost or delay of uh, of the information so this is exactly what transformed uh, the advantages in email uh, as compared to post office right so you send the email anywhere in the world it just goes to an instant and and that's pretty much end of it uh, there is no middle of an such thing. Okay. 
So as of today, when we are doing a transaction, uh, either there is a third party, whenever they are doing it through, say, uh, Paytm or Google Pay or Bank Pay, or else uh, they would have to physically meet and do the exchange of uh, the cash. Okay, uh, so these are the two modes that exist. Uh, and uh, that is where the Bitcoin comes into picture, where uh, the the transaction started happening uh, without any kind of third person, but with the most uh, efficient way without money for it. And, they, and it is happening instantly. Okay. So we define Bitcoin as the world's first open source decentralized digital currency and payment network. So it's open source because the source code of the entire protocol, anyone can read it. Um, and it is decentralized because uh, the transactions get stored in uh, in a very wide network, which is not controlled by one particular person or a, or, or, or a country. So anyone who can, whoever want to opt in can be a part of it. And on the other side, this is not just the currency which has some kind of value, but it's also a network which can transfer the currency from one place to one place. So let's say today, dollar can be transferred on Visa network, right? So rupees can be transferred on Western Union network. Similarly, Bitcoin can be transferred on the Bitcoin network. So it's both something that is that is of value, and it's also is a network which will move that particular value from from one place to one place uh, on on it. So that is the simplest way I think we can. So th this particular network is maintained by uh, a huge set of volunteers, whom we call as Bitcoin miners. They are called miners because uh, they are kind of. Uh, uh, I mean, we call it as mining the transaction. So where the transactions are getting validated and added to something called blockchain, uh, which is a permanent record of all the debits and credits happening on the on the Bitcoin network. And whenever they do this, there is an incentive for them, uh, which is the newly generated Bitcoin itself. So they are kind of doing some work and getting something valuable, which is Bitcoin. So that's why we call them as Bitcoin miners. So there are hundreds of thousands of them across the world who are doing this work every day, day and night, 24-7. Okay. So Bitcoin mining is just maintaining the network, which uh, the, the ledger, uh, so to say, uh, of Bitcoin. That is called Bitcoin mining, when you are maintaining the ledger. Well, when, when, see, one, one, part of the, uh, one part of the idea is to just maintain the ledger. So you are one of the validating person and you just make sure that every transaction is getting validated okay so in, in that you are not really mining for uh, the, the the new bitcoin okay so then comes apart from the maintaining the ledger uh, you are also trying to create new blocks which is like a new page in the book uh, with transactions on it and successfully uh, able to complete a page uh, gives the incentive which is a newly generated bitcoin itself so as of now, as we speak, every 10 minutes, there is about 6.25 Bitcoin that is getting generated uh, to somewhere in the world. So it will not be more than that. So the more and more people, there are less chances that uh, a unique person will will be able to get it. So at that, obviously, when I was, uh, when I started getting involved in the Bitcoin space, there may be just a few thousands of miners, so which, which was making the, which was not making the mining difficulty because it's only getting spread across 
a few thousands of miners. But right now we are talking about hundreds of thousands of miners because see, like how the price of Bitcoin increases, it's again a demand supply uh, part of the you know economic equation. When more and more people are there, obviously more and more people would join because the Bitcoin price have increased and uh, whoever be able to complete the pages on the block, their incentive is very, very high because 6.25 Bitcoin as of today, uh, we're talking about is like, uh, I think about three crore rupees, which is like a lot of money, right? So due to which then there are more people who are joining and making it difficult for others to just get the block, uh, which is a reward for them. Why is it difficult to create a new block? I mean, why can't I just click something and then a new block is created? See here, people are competing uh, to solve something, solve a particular mathematical equation. Hmm. And the idea is that uh, the more stake you have uh, in making the block, the reward should be maximum for you. Okay. Hmm. So which means, let's say if I am investing in thousand computers to do the, the mining, then my chances should be higher than someone who is just investing 10 computers. Hmm. But okay. it is not like I broadcast or sell the world that I have thousand. So I should be uh, having higher chances. Hmm. It has to be proven by doing some kind of work. Okay. okay. And everyone actually proves it by doing the work itself. And how do we prove the work is to show that I am working to make it happen uh, in a way that is not disputable by others. I cannot just say that uh, there is a, if it is just a simple button and they click the button, the work I'm doing more work, it's not so. So these computers are generating uh, a huge set of uh, millions or trillions of random numbers uh, to trying to fit a puzzle where if that random number is added to the puzzle, the resultant uh, will be of, uh, of having an attribute which is acceptable uh, for that to be successful. Okay, okay. so, so it, it, it is like this, right? So we have seen these, you know, uh, jigsaw puzzles. Hmm. So yeah. let's say the out of 1000 pieces that you need to put, 999 pieces are already there and everyone is trying to put random pieces for that last piece. Uh, to figure out who can complete that jigsaw puzzle first, okay, mm -hmm. and whoever can do it uh, will get some prize like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here the advantage is like this, right? So uh, trying to figure out which is the right piece is mm -hmm. tough, mm -hmm. but once that piece is figured out, it's mm -hmm. easy to verify whether it is right right piece or not. Mm -hmm. okay. okay, so it's like Sudoku puzzle, right? So Hmm. Solving a Sudoku puzzle is tough, but verifying whether the Sudoku puzzle that is completed is correct or not is easier job. Hmm. So here as well, it is the same thing. So people are trying to find a missing piece to solve a particular puzzle. And wherever that puzzle gets solved, the information gets broadcast that saying this is the missing piece in that particular puzzle. And all the other computers will validate whether that missing piece uh, is a valid piece that will go and fit there. Mm -hmm. And if it goes and fit there, then everyone will do an entry in their uh, ledger book saying, okay, the new set of Bitcoins was issued to this particular miner. And then the miner will have the ability to spend it in the future. Hmm. It's like a winner take all thing. Like whoever solves it first gets all the Bitcoin. It's not 
getting split yeah it's it's kind of lottery uh, i mean see uh, that's correct whoever solves it first will uh, will will get it but uh, but we have to also understand that um, so there there is uh, like 24 hours per day and every 10 minutes it's getting awarded right so which means there are 144 prizes uh distributed every single day uh, and that if there are hundreds of thousands of computers uh, then most of them won't be able to get anything in a single day or are able to get anything in the entire month sometimes even in the year okay so what what everyone has figured out is to do something called pool mining so what it means is everyone uh, try to become a part of a bigger chain of Uh, of of network and try to solve it, and because everyone is generating random numbers, uh, that particular mining pool will uh, be able to validate how many random numbers was generated, uh, then share that reward. So let's say uh, if if my mining pool A, uh, uh, so there are hundred people below that, and if even one of the one of the person solves it. then i take that 2.65 bitcoin uh, 2.625 bitcoin and share it among 100 people uh, so that there is at least something that everyone is getting or most of them are getting instead of one person getting a huge grand prize so is this a system which evolved or was it created and you know for example our money is something which evolved we started with butter and then it moved into money and uh, as nations became nations then they had a central bank which issued money and so on now this system which you have described to me is a complex system that there is a certain mathematical problem so every time one problem is solved a new problem is created and all that so who created this or how did how did it come into being said so then it's just a piece of software uh, and it was already designed to work in this particular way so it was this uh, so the white paper which explains the concept of it before the software was created was written by a astronomer author called toshi nakamoto uh, so in reality we don't know who exactly it is uh, but it clearly explains how a incentive based network uh, is capable of handling the transactions uh, free of cost and instantaneous uh, and without the intervention from from any kind of third party so and it 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 is a trustless network so which means uh, once let's say if i have one bitcoin then i don't need to trust someone uh, where i have kept the bitcoin i can just hold the required private key and publicly myself and as long as i hold it securely that one bitcoin just belongs to me and no one else and no one can confiscate it uh, so my and i will have the ability to move it to some someone else using that private key uh, so what i'm doing is something called a like digital signature uh, to move that particular money so 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 so, so in this, this particular way people can handle uh, handle their own bitcoin themselves without depending on a, a third party and as the time has passed uh, since at least say 5 6 years uh, the interface of the uh, uh, interface of the applications have Uh, significantly evolved uh, to make a common man comfortable about uh, creating uh, their own wallets and doing the transactions so, so hold hold on how, from that white paper uh, how did the software come about did the same person that uh, satoshi yeah same person wrote bigger part of it but there are many other people uh, who also contributed their code to make it work 
so eventually everything became like uh, one one piece of code and there and even today there are improvements that keeps on getting suggested and some of them get does get implemented as well uh, so that it's like up to date and be secure so there is a central body which would be maintaining the code and doing the enhancement to the code there is a code rep- repository and there is a small team of members who will look at any kind of suggestions that are given by general public and sometimes they also so- submit a piece of code and after after doing the audit of that particular piece of code and if it is a great value addition that particular small team takes a decision if they want to put it in with the rest of the code or not and this team is like a team of trusted people that uh, i mean h- how did this team get decided uh, this team pretty much existed uh, since the introduction of bitcoin itself so uh, and i mean nowadays it's not tough so it, the people could just go for voting mechanism or something where it can even the 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 whether it should be implemented or not also can be decided based upon uh, the the stakeholders in the network uh, because now now the it's it, it's it's the information is public about which address has how much bitcoin so it's it should be too tough to uh, ask the holders of bitcoin do some vote saying that whether they want a particular new feature or not okay so uh, what was your uh, uh, fascination with bitcoin you know like what opportunity did you see in it so so once i kind of got myself immersed in uh, in this kind of you know learning about this technology i was looking at what else is happening uh, in india about this new technology then i got to know about a a, a meetup that was happening in bangalore so when i went there that's where i actually have met uh, one of our co-founders anire he was the organizer of the meetup so he is a canadian resident working what at that time he was working for a robotics company he was in india uh, building the the indian market for the robotic company um so i happened to meet him and that's the two, it's the year 2013 actually that was also the year where price of bitcoin has gone up from 16 dollars to about $1050 and the way the bitcoin bitcoin price increased uh, we we were doing meetups every weekend so there was there are more and more people coming for the meetups uh, while we could talk great things about bitcoin in general there was no place for people to buy bitcoin yet uh, in india so that made us to uh, think it as a business opportunity and we started onocoin so onocoin is a platform where people can with some simple interface people can buy and sell bitcoin uh, by paying money through the bank account yeah okay okay so uh, is this space regulated like when you started because you are taking money from people uh, and probably holding it in escrow or something like that and so so you know is this a regulated space did you have to clear some regulatory hurdles to start it off or you know how did you launch it like tell me about that see at, at the end we are uh, we, yeah, we we do allow customers to pay the advance so that using that money people can purchase uh, whatever they want so as of today it's uh, not in a regulated space of thing when it comes to how the transactions in bitcoin uh, is getting handled but else uh, the rest of the business is obviously regulated like any other any other business it's just that uh, the service we provide is for bitcoin right so bitcoin itself is uh, is unregulated and we look forward for regulations to come uh, sometime in the near future so 
um so but whatever is applicable uh, with the present loss of land uh, we just need to make sure that uh, that is properly followed and that made it uh, quite simple for us and actually you know look at look at this as a business venture and start it so what did what did it start like like tell me about the product journey did it start as a website where you can create an account yeah create an account sub- submit the kvc documents once the woman one of our administrators or customer care executives uh, check the documents and approve it then the user would have a ba- have a verified account then he'll be then he was able to buy and sell bitcoin so he's buying bitcoin he has to send money to us if he's selling bitcoin then we used to send the money to his bank account to to complete the transaction so it was simple buy and sell on day one hmm, hmm. okay okay so if he was selling bitcoin uh, then he would enter like the public key and the private key and then you would uh, sell this and uh, then transfer the money to him something like that i mean he would not enter the public key and private key on our website itself uh, but there are wallets which allows him to do that entry and once he is able to successfully enter that it will start showing how much bitcoins is there in that particular public key private key pair and he will be able to move it either to his own coin wallet and then sell it and get the money so and if he wants the bitcoin then he would just pay <coughs> money to us and we will we will pro- give him bitcoin as simple as that and uh, in in a uno coin wallet like a, a wallet is necessary See, we gave it initially in uno coin wallet but customers will have the ability to transfer it anywhere they want or whenever they want yeah uh, any other like a wallet is a necessary part of this uh, thing like you must have a wallet yeah but not not everyone understands how to create their own wallet so we provide the uh, wallet facility for them a lot of people after purchasing they leave it in the wallet itself because then it's more easier whenever they want to sell okay so people could uh, if they were technically savvy could create their own wallet or they could use any of the existing wallet services mm-hmm. that's it that's right yeah it was simple yeah okay and uh, what was your uh, monetization strategy so we used to charge a small percentage uh, of the invoice value as fee and then collect gst on top of that or the service tax on top of that and we used to pay it to the government so uh, our revenue was the fee that we were charging on it yeah, what percentage do you charge or or has it changed over the years the initial i think two years or so we were charging 3% as transaction fee and then we then we drop it down to i think 1.5 then it's to 1% and now we only charge 0.7% the transaction fees wherever people are buying and selling bitcoin directly yeah hmm, hmm, hmm. okay got it okay okay and uh, what kind of uh, like you know how did you get users in or uh, you know what kind of numbers did you see in the first year and tell me about that growth journey i think by the by the the end of second year or so we had about 15 to 20000 users is what i remember and how did you generate that like was it through some paid marketing campaign we or? were we were only options for people to buy and sell bitcoin uh, at least for year or year and a half uh, so and we were co- providing quite good customer service um as well uh, so with with the toll free number and such things so uh, it, it it was usually used to be the word of mouth we have never believed in uh, spending lot of money for digital marketing activities hmm. 
okay so uh, uh, 15 20000 users but these people would transact how frequently like was it like one transaction in a year or like some of them are uh, yeah some of them are like investors so who want to just buy and just hold it for many years but there are some who want to sell it at uh, even if they are getting like 10 or 15% profit uh and uh, yeah i mean we had all kind of traders uh, then we had freelancers accepting bitcoin as more of payment um then there are merchants uh, who was like accepting uh, bitcoin for the products both online and offline uh, then there were some speculators who were trying to buy and sell every few days to make money and there were investors who will just buy and hold for longer term so yeah well, it, it, it was very wide uh, spread the reason why they are buying is quite widespread and also the age range was, that was most active was between 25 to 40 so so and usually male population is is highest um so that's what we have we have seen yeah mm-hmm. okay so were you uh, earning enough through transactions to fund the business or did you need external funding i mean we we weren't really taking uh, uh, the industry standard salaries as the founders Uh, it was like very negligible so due to which uh, it was kind of sustaining and then we had to look for funding so that once we have the money we can do better hires and uh, then go for uh, you know acquiring more customers um so yeah we we were looking we started looking at funding just maybe some two or three months after we started the company and we secured and got the first round of funding from Barry Silbers Digital Currency Group in 2014 okay okay uh, the, the funding was so that you can invest in building better technology like a better user interface and yeah and also to hire more employees better employees for employees for what for tech and for customer care like for both for both yeah okay okay hmm got it okay and uh, okay and uh, so you were at about 15 20000 by like about 2015 uh, so what was the journey from there till today like uh, how has uh, product wise it's uh, i mean we, we try to address whatever are the, are the concerns for our users so users were about volatility of the price of bitcoin so we built something called systematic buying plan it is like sip for mutual funds right yeah and there were many freelancers accepting bitcoin as a mode of payment but uh, because they are working for us based companies they had to literally stay away call the night for bitcoin to come and get it confirmed and then sell it so that they are not uh, subject to the variation in the prices right so we built something called auto sell feature for them where the when whenever the bitcoin comes to the unique address assigned to them then it will automatically get sold and the money go to the bank account of the user so Uh, they can very safely distribute given share that bitcoin address to the employer and go to bed and if they do the bitcoin transfer everything is automated till they see the money in the bank account in their bank their own bank account so it was just like turns up by 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 the, by the morning yeah hmm, hmm. okay okay interesting okay and uh, uh, but in terms of the number of users on the platform how did that grow Uh, yeah, yeah. By 2017, we we kind of uh, touched one lakh customers, and by the by the end of 2017 or the earlier part of 2018, uh, 
uh, we had close to about 10, 10 to 11 lakh customers, so which was like a, a 10x growth in that single year. Um, and in 2018 onwards, there was a restriction from the Reserve Bank of India from the banks that the bank should not support the cryptocurrency companies and its customers. So that had to be fought through for about two years, so during which we could not really you know, build up great, I mean, we could not uh, continue building up great customer base. Um, so, but after winning that case in March 2020, uh, it's, it's again back on track. And we have signed up uh, close to about uh, 2 lakh customers or so, so far. Okay. Okay. So, uh, this uh, case, how did it impact you? Like, like you gave an example of somebody who's earning in Bitcoins and wants to transfer it to cash. Could he still do that after the ban happened? Uh, he cannot use the bank account for it, but he could do it himself. Yeah. So, but the bank had a restriction not to support uh, the transactions happening in crypto. So the money could not hit his account. That's right. So, I mean, he was, the bank was not supposed to see the, the restriction was on banks, not on users, actually. The banks uh, had the restriction from the Reserve Bank of India that the banks should not support cryptocurrency exchange uh, and the customer's account where the transaction is happening for uh, exchange of cryptocurrency. Hmm, hmm. So like, h- how did you survive in this period? Did, did did this mean that you had like zero transactions happening? Because that's the whole deal, no? Like you take money out from your bank account and buy Bitcoin or you sell Bitcoin and it comes into your bank account. So if that is blocked, then like, did it like become zero? Like, your transactions? Uh, we had some crypto to crypto transactions where people are converting from, say, Litecoin to Ripple and such things on one side. Um, but yeah, the, the revenue was very, very less, in fact. So that made us to burn a lot part of the money that we raised money for by 2016. So we had to use that money and we had to lean down our company uh, in two rounds of firing so that we continue to sustain and have the chance to get back on business whenever it gets started at the Supreme Court. Hmm. Okay, okay. And like you were personally part of the case or like was it an industry body fighting the case? Or? Industry body, yes. Uh, but there was also uh, something called human rights that was getting affected. The industry cannot, industry body cannot uh, play the victim of human rights because industry body is not human. So my co-founder Harish had to actually file a file the case as individual as well, and I was significantly helping him uh, and the lawyers to uh, have everyone understand how the present business works, um, so that the proper messages are being passed on to uh, the the judges at the Supreme Court. And finally, yeah, it, it took about two years, uh, but however, we got the verdict finally. And uh, Bloom supported you through that two-year period of the ban, like in terms of... They didn't explicitly support, but they were definitely of great moral support on one side. And whatever money we had raised from them uh, helped us to support ourselves so that we can wait for ban to be lifted from the Supreme Court. Okay, okay. So uh, tell me about the various types of cryptocurrencies. Uh, I remember a year or two back, there was this... Uh, like a Cambrian explosion where there were a lot of new cryptocurrencies coming out. Uh, you know, is that craze still there? How many of those cryptocurrencies are still exist today? Uh, do you see that there is 
space for more than one cryptocurrency beyond bitcoin see there is the, the bitcoin source code is open source which means anyone can create uh, variations of bitcoin with little different features and call it give it their own name uh, and sometimes it will be particularly uh, helpful for a specific set of uh, small set of customer or for a particular industry or anything like that so where it would make sense uh, yeah so let's say if uh, someone is creating uh someone creates something called ethereum right so which is a network on top of that ether is the currency for transactions and the specific purpose of creating that is to be able to write smart contracts which can self execute depending upon some kind of trigger externally um so and then there was ripple network so which was helping banks to do the transactions in a quicker way so like that uh, there are many cryptocurrencies that has existed that are, have existed since uh, since the introduction of bitcoin but usually it comes up with its own agenda uh, and try to make that particular agenda work Uh, so as you speak probably we we know about 5000 cryptocurrencies at least today uh so yeah yeah for at least 5000 so a lot of them are clones of one another uh, so in reality there may be about 10 or 15 different uh, you know core uh, real uh, source codes and then there'll be variations of variations of other variations and everyone has its own network so uh, are these other cryptocurrencies also aiming to compete with bitcoin as a like as a form of currency or are they solving some other problem and like you know uh, so if i'm like you know you give the example of ether so if i'm holding ether am i holding ether as a form of investment or because i want to take advantage of the use case uh you you could do for both so why you are holding depends only on you or maybe you can hold a part of it for investment and part of it for actually making the transactions to work so but the for the transactions to work uh, you know it's like a machine so where you have to put some fuel right so in a similar way uh, ether is the fuel to make smart contracts to work on the and on the ethereum blockchain um, so and if you are holding ether either you are doing it for speculative reasons or you could be doing it uh, like i mean just for uh say i mean looking at like uh, currency or investments so which it as of now it's like any uh, the the platform like ours wouldn't really exactly know why you are buying bitcoin so what you want to do with it is up to you yeah. okay okay but have these other currencies seen that same kind of growth as bitcoin there are definitely many which have seen better growth in percentage uh, but those are not of uh, a huge network the network number of people right so this is more about uh, how big the network exists so that the transactions will be more secure and it happens in a smoother way uh, so due to which there are some new projects which have seen really good growth and uh, but it has also seen declines sometimes and some of them have even gone to zero and such uh, but on the other side of things yeah i haven't really seen anything which is as stable as bitcoin and continue to grow in the value yeah okay 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 and what's an ico the ico means initial coin offering so it's similar to ipo which is like initial public offering where uh, a particular company issues their stock uh, for people like general public uh, so they could raise some investment and these stocks are tradable on the exchange right so in the similar way but when it comes to ico there is nothing like stocks 
uh, it is just that people invest uh, their Bitcoin or in whatever way they want. And then there is, uh, and, and once the network, their network launches and such things, uh, then there is a price increase after which a lot of them and a lot of the investors can exit their positions from. So, you know, helping the network to kickstart uh, somewhere, they'll need, uh, I mean, a lot of them have done ICOs. Hmm. Okay. 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 Got it. Okay. Uh, I read about this uh, cryptocurrency called Dogecoin, which was, which started off like a joke. Uh, uh, how is that doing now? Um, yeah, it kind of started off like joke. That's correct. But uh, it's kind of a uh, hard fork, or maybe it's, it's kind of actually a fork from uh, the the Bitcoin-based uh, blockchain. They just created huge number of smaller assets or smaller size assets, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, and, and gave some notional value for it initially. Mm-hmm. But then as they continue to get traded, it has acquired some value. And because the transaction fees uh, to do on, on dot chain is, is very less, and per dot chain, I mean, Paradoxy coin is also like, I think, few, few rupees. How, how do you pronounce it? Dodge, you said? D-O-G, yeah, D-O-G. You, you pronounce it as Dodge, Dodge coin? Dodge coin, yeah, you can call it as Dodge, yeah. Um, so because it's only few rupees per unit, um, a lot of people become comfortable to hold a full unit of something than a very, very small unit of uh, of Bitcoin. So there are people who would, who would want to do it that way, so yeah. We have we will have on both sides of it okay 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 so how do you see the future for uh you know coin because there is uh like a rumor that india is going to be banning crypto completely and it will be the most uh bitcoin unfriendly country in the world and uh all of that so so you know what, what do you see as the future of uno coin uh, yeah, th- that's quite tricky, and we will have to see uh, what will be the terms and conditions of those kind of black, uh, of such kind of ban for us to figure out the next strategy. So as of now, yeah, we keep on reading in the news that uh, for India, this particular technology is not good for whatever reasons, right? So yeah, we will have to wait and see how the regulations come up, and then figure out the next step. So that's how I see it as today. Beyond Campus is a production of the Podium.in, powered by Career Launcher. If you like this show, then we are sure that you will love our other shows on subjects like entrepreneurship, marketing, books, and drama. Check out the Podium.in for a complete list of all our shows.